Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. say this respectfully and have referred to this many times throughout the years and the Lord will give me strength I'll continue to do it Sister Goodson would put her fingers together just like that and with great intensity she would talk about how important that the word of God is and we've got to love his truth and I don't say that to mock her I say that to honor her today because it wasn't just her fingers that were bound around that thought it was every fiber of her soul that was bound around that thought. And I'm thankful for elders and wonderful people that have committed themselves. And their commitment helps us be committed even to a greater level. And so someone is watching. And so today we begin a new series for the next four Sundays. We're going to be talking about the authority of God's word. And um, I'm thankful for that. I really am thankful for the word of God. And, and certainly... I will say that as as life goes on, and I guess I'm trying to avoid saying the older I get, but the older I get, the greater I appreciate the Word of God. And I found its truths to not be just a book of encouragement, a book of truisms, not just a proverbial book, but it is, it is a book of absolute promises, and for that I'm eternally thankful. And so it, it, we must preach the word of God. We must declare the word of God because it, it is inspired. Last Sunday, as I was just in my opening comments, I began to talk to you about the word of the Lord. And I said last weekend that this holy book is inspired and it is inerrant and it is infallible. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. And those are not just a few words that I, I want to just say and by just way of oratory, I want you to know that this book is inspired and this book is inerrant and this book is infallible and so we can lean on that. You can trust the word of God. It will be there. I want you to uh, join me I'm on the screen, the, the scripture, 2 Timothy 3 and 16. If you have your Bible, certainly you can join me there. The Bible talks and says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, we could just read those few words right there and we could settle the rest of our tomorrows that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I'm thankful for the inspired, the inerrant, and the infallible word of God. And so today we're going to make a journey. We're going to make a journey back in time. We're going to journey through some of the pages of the Old Testament. And we're going to consider some of the words, the events, and the prophecies of some of the prophets of God. 
and uh, what they had to say and their contribution that in fact brings us to where we are today. And I'm thankful for those who can utter the word of the Lord. When we use the word prophets, you know, there are just certain bywords, certain perhaps buzzwords that when we hear those words, if we're not careful, we can misunderstand them and, and uh, we can misperceive perhaps um, what that title may be. When we hear the word prophet, you know, we, and, and I think there should be a, a, a realm of respect, certainly, but when we hear the word prophet, we think about those um, individuals who would just be tellers of the future. I'm not talking about fortune tellers, but our mind tends to think and only associate the word of prophet as being a, a person that just simply forecasts things and speak futuristically. Voices that merely proclaim what's going to happen in the future. But foretelling, I believe, is secondary in the calling of a person that is called to the office of a prophet. Because when you read about true prophets, they were more concerned about the present than they were the future. You might say that a prophet's primary reason for bringing up the future was merely to help a nation repent and remain faithful where they were in the present. Amen. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we will, we will want prophets to just be glorified fortune tellers. I mean, we don't want them to read our palm, but we sure want them to read our life. Have you got a word from the Lord for me today? I've been asked that many times throughout the years, not a lot from our local congregation, but I've been asked that many times through the years, do you have a word from the Lord for me today? And uh, I, believe, I believe in that. I'm not discounting that. But I believe we have a word from the Lord every day. Amen. We have a word from the Lord every day. We have uh, powerful promises of the God that are irrevocable and they're unyielding. And I'm thankful for his word. Um, I believe that a prophet that, that is speaking about the future, as I said, they are speaking about the future because many times it is a warning. Many times it is a sounding of an alarm because it is pointing out where we are and it helps us in many respects to remain faithful in the present. And so we think about the children of Israel, not just in their exodus journey out of Egypt, but I'm going to tell you this group of people had a wandering a spirit of wanderlust. <laughs> there was a wandering in their spirit. There, a wandering, rather, in their spirit. Amen. They, they, they just had a hard time being grounded and committing to the promises of the Lord. And they found themselves again and again and again in trouble with God and in trouble with the man of God of that hour because of that wandering nature. Israel, if Israel uh, was warming up to the rulers of other nations or perhaps taking a casual attitude or a passive attitude about some sort of religious cult or an idolatrous spiritual uh, connection, the prophet would be summoned by God to demonstrate where this is going to lead. He told their future, <laughs> but it wasn't in the sense of reading their palm. If you keep going the way you're going. 
sadly, you're going to wind up where you're aiming toward. Amen. And so that was the call of the prophet. And the prophets were, were to be quite clear on where they should stand as a nation in regard to the policies and the practices of what they were doing and where that would lead. And so when Israel's kings made pacts with foreign kings, in other words, for their protection, and they did that more than once, when they would ally themselves and make allegiances with other places and other people, God would send somebody into their life with a voice. I'm going to tell you that I am thankful for those voices in my life and in my past that have been there to, to grab my attention. Amen. I'm going to tell you an emergency room, if the situation is just right, they're not altogether concerned with your comfort because they're trying to save your life. Amen. And so sometimes, spiritually speaking, a prophet is going to step into the scene or onto the scene and perhaps even into our life and they are going to respond. One such demonstration of that is found in the life in the ministry of Hosea. And Hosea responded in probably what I think would be one of the most dramatic fashions in Scripture. And certainly we would not, not one of us want to have to relive this ourselves. Not, not being a subtle individual by nature. If you read about the life of Hosea, Hosea married unto him, took unto him a prostitute. He married her. And so we might be aghast at why a man would do such a thing. But there was a method to the madness. Because God said, I want to give Israel a visual example of what they are doing to me. I want them to be able to see in true and living color exactly what's happening. Amen. He wanted them to know when you ally yourself, when you join forces with a foreign king, this is what's going to happen to you. And so Hosea took unto him a wife, a woman who had an unfaithful past. She had an unfaithful history. She knew nothing about faithfulness. She understood nothing about the true commitment that matrimony was really going to require. Perhaps she was familiar with the process. She knew the word. She knew what it entailed. But she really knew nothing about being faithful. One woman, one man, to build a home, to build a family. She knew nothing about that. And because of that, predictably, she failed the test by being unfaithful to those vows. And such as it was with the marriage between God and Israel. And so the shame that Hosea bore over the relationship that he had with an unfaithful wife was the equivalent shame that Israel had brought to God. And so in a bold fashion, God used Hosea to say, this is what you are doing to me. Amen. Now we would think that quite bizarre and and uh, we'd be most uncomfortable if we have been unfaithful to the Lord this week. Amen. We would be very, very uncomfortable. You would be very, very uncomfortable. I want to get this personal. I would be very uncomfortable if I had been unfaithful to the Lord and the Lord used a visual example of my unfaithfulness to Him in this service today. Amen. 
I can see that you are not going to go any further with that because you're not sure where I'm going with that. But this I am, I have arrived. That is where I was going. We would be most uncomfortable if the Lord just said, I want to show you how you made me feel this week. Amen. And that was this, this was the whole method to the madness of what's happening in the life of Hosea. If we were, if we were not where we should have been this week, I don't know because I wasn't here. But if you weren't here Wednesday night and you could have been here Wednesday night and the Lord paraded something across this platform today in true and living color to make us realize how he felt about that, it might be prayer time. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we just, all in favor of just moving on. <laughs> Can I, can I get a witness? Amen. I'll make this commitment. I won't look at the attendance roll of Wednesday night because <laughs> I brought it up. The word of the Lord arrested him. The power of God touched him and it pierced his very soul. The Bible is not just a book that we pick up and carry to church. It's not just a book when I was coming up. Family Bibles were very, very common they were customary. They were sometimes and oftentimes displayed somewhere in the home. Now, that's not a Bible you carried with you anywhere. <laughs> you barely carried across the room, but it was the family Bible, and it was indicative of, uh, of a statement that this is uh, the reigning and the ruling power of this home. But we have much more easier versions of the Bible to carry to church, but it's not just a book that we pick up and carry with us the Bible, as I said a moment ago, is not just a book that's merely filled with truisms or proverbs that we can quote in times of need, something that little go-to pick-me-up. No, no, no. The Bible is the final word. The Bible is the authority. Amen. When you read through the writings of the prophets, you get a kaleidoscope of images. It is, I understand, sometimes... Uh, uh, it is, um, the word I'm looking for, is a little mundane in the reading sometimes, a little testing and trying in the reading of, of, of some of, of, of those more difficult passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. But when we come across in the midst of all of that, some of the images, some of the realisms of what God had required and requested of some of those prophets in that day, it is hard to relate that in a more modern world. It is hard to, um, it is, it's hard to kind of shoehorn that into the setting of this very day. We find ourselves somewhat taken by the bizarre images of, of Ezekiel, for example, who was told to eat the word of God. I mean, to eat that manuscript. And so you would think it rather bizarre and, and, and I understand many other emotions would go with that. If I begin to tear the pages of this book intricately and delicately out from its cover and begin to literally chew on them this day, we would think that somewhat bizarre and with right reason. Perhaps no other prophet, and I, I know that's a broad and bold statement, perhaps though 
no prophet paid a higher price for declaring the word of God than that of Jeremiah. And maybe that's why we know him as the weeping prophet. (laughs) He had a lot to cry about. When Jeremiah prophesied, you know, we see church in a different light today. And uh, I understand that sometimes the ministry and ministers can just by default and by uh, and and because of the calling that's upon their life and the duties and responsibilities can can sometimes cut a little close and maybe as, as some say get up in your grill. But for the most part, I think there is a level of respect and I think that there is a level of honor. But when when Jeremiah prophesied. The kings and the priests, they mocked and they laughed and they ridiculed. When I was preparing for this, I couldn't help, Brother Williams, but to think, I'm going to start calling people's name like you do. (laughs) How comfortable are you now? (laughs) He said, no, no, no. Go back to talking about that other thing. We were more comfortable with that. I think about, I think about the, the, the message that Brother Williams preached in Madison last Sunday. My. Amen. How, how that he, he talked about the power of laughter. And I don't want to mess that up in case you want to preach it here sometime. You ought to. Amen. The power of laughter and how, how, how unnerving it would be if I was teaching and preaching today. And I just saw you sitting back there whispering to one another and laughing and jeering. And I knew those comments were not about something funny that a child sitting near had done or something funny that had happened, but that you were mocking me or that you were jeering at me. It would be very disconcerting if I thought this morning that all the time and the preparation that would go into a service and that while our singers were up, you would just fold your arms in disgust and, and, and wonder why it wasn't this or wasn't that and you would mock what, what was going on But when Jeremiah prophesied, kings and priests, they mocked. For for them, Jeremiah was little more than what we might refer to as just a comedian. They laughed him to scorn. His prophecies were continually antagonistic to those in charge. And, And when the king had Jeremiah's written prophecies burned in the fire, yeah, that's what he thought of it. It would be like you running up here today and grabbing these notes and just saying, here's what I think of your message, preacher, and we'll just take them outside and we'll burn them. That's what we think of your sermon today. And so when the king had Jeremiah's written prophecies burned with fire, the Lord directed Jeremiah to go even deeper and further in his charge to them. And he began to talk about the most sacred thing in Judah, and that was the temple. That was the sacred cow Nobody touches or talks about the temple. Jeremiah said of the temple that the glory of God had departed. The only hope for the people was to stop trying to create an an, an allegiance with other nations against Babylon. The only way forward now, he said, is to surrender to the Eastern Empire. Now, to be sure, the old prophets had often prophesied doom, But they had never suggested that what you ought to do is just surrender to the enemy. In fact, the prophet's job in in a more normal setting would to be the very opposite of that. Don't ally yourself with the enemy, but ally yourself with the truth. They thought God 
would never allow Jerusalem to be taken into enemy hands and to say otherwise would be to defame God and to speak like a heathen. Nevertheless, even though Jeremiah seemed more like a traitor than a prophet, he continued on. Now in all honesty, Jeremiah himself must have been somewhat eccentric. He opposed popular opinion. Jeremiah seemed to like a, seemed like a sympathizer. He seems now, because of what he is saying, to be supporting the enemy and, and, and giving comfort to the enemy. And they could not wrap their minds around why would the man of God just get up and say, well, go ahead and hold hands with the devil. Go ahead and play footsies with the devil under the table. Just go ahead and sin all you want to sin this week. You would think that rather bizarre of me if I were to get up here and to preach on that. However, amen, as true prophets usually are, Jeremiah was once again out of step with the popular message of the day. The false prophets put their finger on the pulse of the people and they called that theology. Amen, the false prophets licked their finger, held their finger in the air to see which way the wind's blowing and this is how we'll determine what we're gonna preach on today because we don't wanna go against the grain. We don't wanna go against popular opinion. Amen, some false prophets would wait until you all got here and sat down so that we can see who is here. We don't wanna offend this one. Don't want to offend that one. And so we're going to throw this out, throw that out. We'll just curtail that, trim this, and we'll fix all of this so that the message is very, very palatable to the audience who shows up. But I'm going to tell you today that I pray often and I pray loud. And I say, God, help me to preach without fear and without favor. Amen. The unadulterated word of God. Amen. Irrespective of who's walks in the door, irrespective of who gets up and walks out the door. Amen. Help me to preach without fear and favor your unbending and your unyielding word of God. Amen. I want to have enough sense to know that there's another scripture that says preach the truth in love. I get that. Amen. But I don't want to wait until I get here to figure out what I'm going to preach. Amen. I want my eyes to still be blinded to who's going to be on these pews when God speaks to my heart about what we need to hear in any given service. Amen. Oh, help us today, God. Amen. I will tell you that sadly, this is happening today. Amen. In this very day. And what happens when you just preach what people want to hear? Here's the risk you run. Amen. You may prepare people for peace when it's really a time of war. Amen. The Bible said if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare themselves to the battle? Amen. And so while we may be trying to salt soap everything and pat one another on the back and say all is well, all is well. Amen. If we were really a watchman on the wall, we might be able to see there's an enemy coming. There is an enemy encroaching. Don't tell me everything is gonna be all right if you see the dust of the enemy coming. My God, get up in this pulpit and preach the truth to us and prepare us. Hallelujah. Amen. What happens when we just poll the audience for our message is we might have a message that would prepare us to merely walk with the footman when our survival is going to depend on us running with the horses. Amen. I don't want to just be ready to walk whenever God is saying we got to be ready to run. 
And so I say, Lord, I'm not trying to feather my own nest today, but the burden of responsibility is nevertheless here. I will say, Lord, give us anointed leadership, amen, that will preach to us the absolute of the absolute word of God, amen. Now, I wanna be clear. I wanna be clear. I'm not trying to empower the ministries of our church to try to pastor you. You have a pastor. Amen. That's not what I'm talking about. Amen. There's not, a, there's not there, I won't say there's not anyone, but there's few people, if any, in this building that want somebody else correcting your children. Amen. So that's not what I'm talking about. But God, give us an authoritative voice in this pulpit. Amen. To preach the word of God and prepare us I'm thankful for the ministers of our church. I mean that with all my heart. I mean that with all of my heart. Amen. They do a wonderful job. And amen. But I want I want us to all know their responsibility is to encourage. <laughs> amen. Their responsibility is to empower and infuse into us strength. So what is Jeremiah to do with each with each utterance? He sounded less and less like a prophet. And in this case, he sounded more and more like a spiritual renegade. At one point, he decided Jeremiah was so frustrated. He was so discouraged. I mean, you would be too if everybody's mocking you. And there's not a wife. There's, I don't want to just say wives because a lot of our guys cook here too, but there's not anybody in this, in this building that would like to prepare a meal and, and a whole family sit down at the table and say, this is what we're having again. You wouldn't be long, darling. You'd find yourself in line at McDonald's because the kitchen would be closed. <laughs> Absolutely. What's for supper? I don't know. <laughs> you may need to go up there to my place and ask them what's for supper or our place. Is it my place or our place? Our place. It's in, yeah, it's all inclusive. Our place, not just mine. <laughs> I need to move on. I'm almost in a silly mood and you're right there with me and we could just, we could do this a long time, I sense. So Jeremiah just comes to this conclusion. I'm done. I'm through preaching. I'm tired of being laughed at, tired of being mocked, tired of people taking my sermon notes out and burning them. It happened. I wonder what's the use? He was just going to live and let live to each his own. But he soon found out because he was God called, this is not going to be quite as easy as I thought it was. Because it was like fire shut up in his bones. <laughs> Ooh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. It was like fire in his flesh. He was hurt in his heart. He was wounded. In his spirit, he said, enough is enough. Just do your own thing. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fussing. I'm just trying to get you to heaven. And I'm tired of all the fighting. And he said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. But when he sat down, the word of the Lord kept coming. The messages kept coming. God stirred him in the stillness of the night. And it was like fire shut up in his bones. Amen. And he stood up like a fire-breathing dragon. And the word of the Lord came pouring uncontrollably out of him. 
Amen. Oh, it wasn't a general conference message. I'll promise you that. No, no, no. Curses started raining down, not curse words. Curses started raining down upon the wayward people that he loved. He spoke of them, of the coming fire that would come and burn the temple. And it was a voice filled with woe, 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 woe. In chapter 27, we see more of these oddities that seemed to blanket the prophets of these days. Jeremiah Jeremiah placed a large wooden yoke in chapter 27 around his neck. It was the yoke, the same yoke, not an equivalent to or not something to mimic or mock, but it was the same yoke that would be used to bind two oxen together. If you have ever seen them either in life or in uh, some sort of picture, then you can get a visual of what that would be. And he would use that large wooden yoke to bind this, that would used, be used to bind oxen. He put that around his neck again. Amen. There was a method to the madness. It was an illustration of all illustrations for those that would heed the powerful word. The idea was the image of the yoke would help the king visualize the gravity of the situation that, that was developing just at the borders of Judah. You are yoking yourself with something that you don't need to yoke yourself to. You are connecting yourself to something that you don't need to connect yourself to. Amen. I, I don't pretend to know a lot about this, but I have friends that do. And I was told this years ago uh, to some, uh, from some friends of ours who were, are, who were and are trainers of very high-end, expensive horses. Many of them have worked with some, of the, some big, big families and names in the Ocala area. And they say in order to train those horses, we're talking about pedigreed animals, in order to break their wheel, in order to train them, they would just take a short link, a lead rope of some sort, and they would harness, uh, what do you call that, that, that thing? A halter. They would take the halter uh, of the horse and put a halter, an uh, equal halter on a donkey, and they would bind them together, and the wheel of the donkey would be greater than the wheel of the horse. And after a while, the donkey would learn the horse how to lead when he was tugged and pulled. Amen. I think that's a wonderful thing if you're in the business of doing that, but I want you to think about something with me. Amen. When you link yourself to the wrong thing, it don't matter how many pedigrees you have, amen, you can just have a common donkey, amen, that is after a while, that donkey is the one deciding when you're going to turn left and when you're going to turn right and when you're going to move forward and when you're going to when you're going to stand still and so I'll tell you today, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you better be careful what you link yourself to amen, because if you think you're going to fix that, you have lost your mind, because that is eventually going to decide when you go forward, when you sit down, when you pray, when you worship, and when you don't. Amen. Jeremiah, there was a method to the madness. There was a method to the madness. I thank you for the honor that you have always bestowed upon Sister Boyd and I and the respect. We have met many of you, many of you in businesses, in off church hours and times and We've run into you in restaurants and we've walked up on you with your friends and, and uh, we have been together and you have always honored us. This is our pastor and this is our pastor's wife and, and you've always honored us. And there have been times not long ago I was in a building supply store and, and uh, I wasn't wearing this suit. 
And, and that Brother Kenny Townsend walked in. And he just, we just, he just grinned as he always does. And, and he smiled and we said a few kind words together. And, and he just began to introduce me to all the people behind the counter. This is a place where he does business. And, and uh, I, I was sorry I didn't have a suit on. <laughs> we were in Lake City Industries. You may not even remember that. But I was standing there. I never felt more uncouth in, in all, all of my life. But I was so thankful that he wasn't ashamed even with jeans and boots and the hat, amen, to say, and I appreciate that. But I'm going to tell you, if I had been standing there wearing a wooden yoke, I'm just thinking, I'm just guessing. <laughs> I think he would have come back later that day to get what he needed. I don't, I don't think it would have been the same end result. Here's my pastor. Yeah, that's the guy with a wooden ring around his neck. The idea was a visual. You need to get this. Can you imagine him walking through those narrow streets? Amen. Jeremiah is trying to get a message. He was, a portion of the message is this. You're going to come under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Amen. This was the word of God that I have appointed for this hour. But that visual lesson was not over. I mean, it wasn't just like a one-time, one-service illustration. You know, Brother Williams, I'm sorry to refer to that last Sunday again, but he had a couple visual illustrations. He brought his audience in. I mean, he used those illustrations to underline something. We all love those visual. Sadly, there's just not a visual for every little sermon. But, but, but when there is a visual, it's something we can take home. And, and generally what we do is we bring them to church and we use them one time and then it's over. But it wasn't over for Jeremiah. Bible scholars teach us that, that, uh, that he may have worn that yoke whenever he was in public for a period of about six months. Amen. This was a cumbersome thing. This wasn't just embarrassing the crowd, but it was wearing blisters, Brother Polk, on his own neck. It was hurting his own back. Amen. He felt that when he rolled over at night. Amen. He felt the pain of carrying that throughout the day. Amen. This, and, and so then all of a sudden as an end result of this, and this is, uh, I'm going to have to hurry here, but at the end result of this, there was another prophet from Gibeon by the name of Hananiah. And he approached the king and he used Jeremiah's yoke as a basis for his own, his own prophecy. And this sort of seemed promising at first. That's why you need the spirit of discernment. Because everything that says yay, yay is not yay, yay. And everything that glitters is not gold. Amen. So when the prophet of Gibeon said that the yoke of Babylon was only going to last two years. At the end of that two years, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's empire was going to be destroyed and, and uh, Jeremiah heard these words and he understood them, amen, for what they were. This was, this was what they were, amen. And so as if Hananiah, he misunderstood this and he is, he is making a prayer, as one writer said, he's making a prayer out of this and not a prophecy. And, and this prophet from Gibeon was confusing the act of prayer with the act of prophecy and there are two Different things. Amen. Prayer and prophecy are two different things. 
He was hoping that God was going to somehow break this old uh, yoke and, and, uh, and, and, and then he was going to be delivered somehow. And after hearing, after hearing this, amen, the word of the Lord later came to the real prophet who was Jeremiah. And he knew the difference between desire and prophecy. He understood there's something out of tune here. There's something out of key here. I'm talking about the inspiration of the word of God. And I'm talking about the authority of the word of God. Amen. He knew that it was that that comforting an idolatrous people was going to be an exercise in futility. He knew that idolatry is just going to end in slavery. That's where you're going to end up if you keep bowing at this altar, approaching the other prophet. Amen. The word of the Lord again poured out of Jeremiah like a flood. He said, the wooden yoke, sir, that you just broke, let me tell you, it's going to be replaced with an iron yoke. Amen. It's going to be replaced with an iron yoke. You can read this in your Bible. Amen. Then he went on to say, and you, sir, are at the point of death. And as a matter of fact, in about the space of two months, this man did die. In all of this, Jeremiah was learning a powerful lesson. Amen. And that lesson is a lesson that we all need to learn. Amen. I know you've heard it before, but please hear me again. When the word of the Lord was in him, amen, it was something that he could not keep silent. He had to shout it from the mountaintop. Amen. He had to shout it from the mountaintop. As a musician, every musician in this house will certainly understand this. A musician has to accept the sovereignty of the ear. Just stay with me a moment. A musician has to accept the sovereignty of the ear. Flat notes and, and, uh, and, and dissonant chords are unacceptable to the audience's ear. Amen. A, a musician that cannot hear when a string or an instrument is out of tune or a chord is out of tune. Can I just say this today, and I don't mean this to be unkind, but a musician that cannot tell if you are playing a sour chord or a sour note or if a string on a guitar is out of tune, you're not a musician. I'm just trying to cushion that as much as possible. But people who no longer even perhaps actively play can hear it's a curse. <laughs> it is a curse. I'll tell you that. You can hear if one string out of six is just ever so slightly out of tune. You hear it. You hear it. Amen. And we understand that we must appease the audience and so that is why many professional musicians are standing there, even in between songs. They may be talking. And nowadays, you know, they're looking at something on the end of the neck of the guitar and they're tuning it. I mean, it is so microscopically, amen, tuned. It is, it is just something there. Maybe the people up in the cheap seats couldn't even hear it, but he heard it and he realized, I gotta make this as good as I can for the audience. I'm going somewhere, amen. I just didn't take you to the Grand Ole Opera for nothing. Amen, we're going somewhere with this. I understand I gotta get this right because there's people that pay tickets, money for tickets. There's an audience, there's followers, there's fans in the audience. I want to please everyone, but can I tell you that the man or the man or the woman who stands behind the pulpit to preach the everlasting, amen, word of God, amen, that one who speaks the word of God has an altogether different responsibility. 
Amen. Because you see, in this arena, amen, please have your eyes right here. In this arena, in this arena, it is the word of God that is sovereign and it is the ear that is subjective. Amen. When something comes across this pulpit and you think it's a little bit out of tune, it is not my job to adjust until you are smiling. It is not my job to tweak until you are happy. It is not my job to turn and tweak until I get a thumbs up from you. But when we hear something coming across the pulpit, amen, we can't, the ear, amen, must must tune to the hearing and not the other way around. When the word of God comes a little close, I, I tell you, don't get up and get offended and walk out. Amen, what you need to do if it offends you, get up and walk this way and say, God, I must have something in my heart that's not right because that was out of tune to me. That didn't sound right to me. And so I'll tell you that the job is not of the pulpit to tune to suit you. It is the job of us to tune until we match the everlasting word of God. Praise God. Praise God. My, 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 my. Let's entertain the Lord here for a moment. Oh, I feel your holy presence in this house. My God, I feel your holy presence in this house. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Technically, technically, I am out of time. But spiritually, I am right where I need to be. Amen. So we are going to stay with this. We're going to stay with this. And so the question now is not, is the word or whether or not the word of God is inspired. I'll just go ahead and settle that. It is. The question here for you and I is this. Does the word of God still inspire us? Is the preaching something we're just trying to get out of the way? Or do we need the word of God to touch us and Amen. I'm I'm not asking you for a patent reply here today. I'm telling you that we need the word of God hear me today to dig around our heart I'm just going to use a biblical term here we need the word of God to dung around our heart amen we need to be shaken and we need to be stirred and we need to be moved we need to be inspired by the word of God amen amen and so on those times and services when the message falls under the line of inspirational. Amen. Do you assume that the word is true and our ear is off? Or do we just assume that, boy, the preacher didn't really have it today. Amen. We need to not try to tune ourselves. There's just something keeps coming back to me. I've got to go here. Amen. When we talk about the years of restoration, I think... Uh, when, when, when everything in the economy of Israel was brought back to zero, when debts were cleared and, and, and when everything was brought back in balance according to the law, 
The Bible says because the economy then was like the economy now. It can be high, low, it can be in the middle. But if we're going to set things back to zero, we got to have a benchmark. And there is one. And the benchmark, it says, shall be according to the shekel of, can somebody finish that for me? Of the sanctuary. <laughs> Amen. When, when we find out where we're going to start from, we're going to start from the shekel of the sanctuary. Amen. I'm going to tell you today, I'm thankful for the value of the shekel of the sanctuary. I apologize if you don't understand that illustration. Amen. But this, this, the word of God, it is our balance. This is where we go. If I'm starting over from zero, it's not really zero. I'm going back to the word of God, the shekel of the sanctuary. Amen. This is the benchmark. This is where we build from. This is what we build upon. This is what we build upon. Amen, amen. Praise God. <laughs> we should read the word of the Lord. I'm, 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 I'm leaving what I think I can out. We need to allow it to soak in our heart into every fiber of our soul. We need to read it. We have the privilege today to listen to it, not just in the preaching, but to listen to the word of God. Amen. But when we do, we need to listen to it with the utmost of humility. And if our ushers need to bring people in, don't leave them in the court for you. You can bring them in. Amen. The masterpiece, amen, he's going to judge us. Something so important to understand. Amen. And this is, I don't want to leave this out, but there is a certain degree. Now, we're going to have some people join us, but don't let that distract you. There is a certain degree or a certain measure of absurdity in every human preacher. Because we have a treasure in an earthen vessel. And so here before you today is flesh and blood, just like you. Now I understand the call. I do understand that. But I want, I'm not asking for sympathy, but I'm asking for understanding. How would you like to be tapped to preach the holy word of God? I'm not asking you for sympathy. I'm asking you for understanding because it doesn't seem to me that these two things that I just mentioned quite go together. You've got the oddity of human nature, the quirkiness of people. Have you ever met anybody? I don't care how normal they appear at first. Hang around. Just, just hang around. And they're going to do something that will just floor you to no end. I'm not talking about sinful or vile or ugly, but just odd. <laughs> You're weird. That's what I'm trying to say. But if you go home with me and you hang around with me a little while, you're going to look back at me. It won't be long. And you're going to say, back at you, babe. You're weird. That's just weird. She doesn't do it so much anymore, but my wife, when we first. No, I'm just. What was Minding your own business, weren't you, babe? I'll use another illustration. I feel led of the Lord. <laughs> It's a small L, but I still feel led of the Lord. 
to move on. Now they're dying to know. And if I don't say it publicly, I'm just going to have to answer one by one. I'll never get out of here today. There'll be a line formed at the door. It better be worth it, she says. Oh, oh, it's not bad. She would fix toast and put jelly and sour cream. That's what we've always done. I felt so sorry for her upbringing. <laughs> Can you imagine being raised in the perils of jelly and sour cream? I'm not getting much feedback, so I'm thinking there's more than one jelly and sour cream individual here. So I didn't think it through quite long enough. But here's this, this oddity of, of, of quirky humanity that has been tapped to preach the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. A treasure in an earthen vessel. I know what that scripture is referring to, but just stay with me. It's an earthen pot. It's an, an irregular pot. And, and we have all kind of personalities that come to the pulpit. Not only of our own local ministers, but of guest ministers who come. The personalities, some of them, like our, our evangelist recently, Brother T.J. Jackson, who may die of a lot of things, but it won't be nerves. That man has never been nervous a day in his life. If he was facing execution, I don't think he would be nervous. He is so at home and comfortable and out in the aisle and, and full force 100%. And seven days later, we had our missionaries Landau here. Completely different personality. Completely different presentation. Ever much is called by the same God. One traveling and propagating the gospel in this nation, another on foreign soil. Amen. The oddity of human flesh declaring the infallible word of God. Oh, my. Sometimes, as one writer said, it turns out there's a bit of Balaam's donkey in every attempt to preach the precious word. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll close with these words. Jeremiah stepped out on the stage with a message he didn't wish to share. The, the audience stared on. They expected something else more maybe respectable. Don't answer this. But have you ever brought guests to church and hoped? <laughs> Man, I hope he behaves today. You just never know about him. Sometimes he's funny and sometimes he acts mad. Let this be a funny day, Lord. Let this be a funny day. He stepped to the pulpit with a message he wished he didn't have. I remember many years ago, and my, my wife will recall this, we were invited and humbled by an invitation to preach a very important and significant 
milestone for a local for a church in another in another state. And God had given me a message, Brother Williams, that was not an anniversary milestone message. I didn't know what to do. I knew what to do, but I didn't know what to do. I wrestled for days before we got there. I didn't sleep a wink the night before. Because I know this is a significant day. The mayor of their city was going to be there. Many, many city officials were going to be there. And I knew at some point in that service there was going to be that. And now. I never felt more like, and I say this humbly, but I never felt, Sister Pope, more like Jeremiah in all my life. I felt like I had that wooden yoke. That morning in, my, in, my, in our hotel room, I told my wife, I said, I don't know what to do, but I am afraid not to obey God. I'd like to be able to finish that story and tell you that I preached that message and here's the end result of that. It didn't happen. It wasn't a long line when the service was over. <laughs> it wasn't a rebuking message. I don't mean that. It just seemed untimely. It seemed out of step, Brother Herndon, for the day. But I never walked away from ever a pulpit more confident that I did what God had asked me to do. Amen. So here is Jeremiah on that stage. Amen. They looked at him. They didn't really understand. They didn't really understand the call. I got to quit. They didn't really understand the call. I'm asking you today to trust the word of God because it is infallible. It is irrevocable. It is inspired. Amen. Trust the word of God. When you pick up its blessed pages and read them, and it doesn't seem like it fits so comfortably like a glove in your heart. Don't try to tune it. Try to tune you. Amen. Try to tune you. Say, I am the one that has to change here. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for your strength and your anointing. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to... This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.